this year is on the Word. Have we got sound there? I'll just make sure this is right. Okay, how's that? Can you hear me down the back or is that a little bit low? Are we on? Good? It's good. You can hear? Good. Excellent. Oh, look, just by the way, if you're freezing, grab one of these. Just leave your seat. Go up the back. There's two boxes at the back of the seats and uh, wrap yourself up in that. Uh, and if you get too cold halfway through the talk, just raise your hands and we'll stand and we'll um, dance for a bit, all right? Okay, just to get warmed up. It is a bit cold. I've already been warned. Keep it short, John. We're freezing, you know, so get to it, get into it, and have a good time. All right, the focus this year is on the Word, and uh, we've been doing a number of things uh, regarding that. One's been learning a verse of the month that we've already done in our um, announcements this morning, and we've got cards on that. Take it home and uh, read it each day and uh, get that into your heart and soul. The other thing it was that we've uh, all purchased five copies of um, The Essential Jesus and we've been praying that God will put on our heart and show us who to uh, give one out to. Anybody given one out yet? Good, excellent. One. Anybody else? Two. Fantastic. It can happen in any way. The other day, um, uh, I had a knock on the door at the little unit here, and um, this guy in a very broken accent asked for water. And I wasn't sure whether he wanted a drink uh, or what he wanted, but th- their car had broke down, four guys and uh, the heat was just coming out, they'd bonnet up, and so I was carting water back and forwards um, out to them, and then uh, suddenly it was as if the Spirit of God said to me, here's your opportunity, give them one of those books. Uh, so I did. So I said, uh, oh, just before you leave, gave them a couple of bottles to take with them to get them back to Gatton, because they're on their way back to Gatton. I don't think it was going to get there, but anyway, they were going to give it a go. And uh, <laughs> so I gave them some reading to do when they were sitting waiting for RACQ to come, I think. And so I said, just a little booklet on Jesus you might find interesting. Um, And then I've been praying about my chiropractor. And I thought, I should give him a copy. And so this week I saw him and I said, oh, I've got to give you just a... It's uh, it's written by a doctor uh, who checked out eyewitnesses of the events of Jesus' life. You might find it interesting. And you know what? The rest of the time when he was getting everything back in order in my back, he was asking me some very interesting questions I mean, um, so he said, this is the guy who died on the cross. Uh, Yeah, I said, then he was buried and came back to life again. When did he die after that? I hadn't thought about that question before because as a Christian, well, I said, actually, he didn't. Oh, yeah, he went back to heaven. He ascended to heaven. Oh, and some other good questions came. So you'd be surprised. So he said, yeah, he was glad it wasn't too long. He said, I don't like reading long books, so, so I might be able to... So who knows what we'll talk about next time. So uh, let's be praying who we can give five copies to. And if you haven't got some, I've got some extra ones left over here or you can buy them from Kurong. And uh, be praying who you can give your... It's a copy of the Gospel of Luke with an intro and an exit on it explanation. All right. The other thing that's coming up is uh, Linton Allen's Sketch and Tell. And uh, you can see some of the uh, books and his paintings up on the table at the back. Have a look at those. We're trying to get him into, I think we've got five schools already uh, who are interested. We've sent out letters to, and emails to 30 schools, I think, contacted CRE uh, uh, people and uh, slowly getting, uh, now the school's getting back this week, uh, hoping to keep him occupied in schools. And then we're going to have him here Friday night at our youth. And then Saturday night, we're going to put on a, a uh, special presentation with him, does black light, sketching, magic, lots of different things. He's a great storyteller and brilliant artist. 
And uh, so I'll be praying for that outreach, more info coming in the weekly email. And some of you have already talked to your school, so uh, go to your principal and just say, have you got an email? It should be an email there from Outlook Christian Church. It's about a great artist uh, who's coming to town. He can go into the art department. He can go into the literature department. He can do with CRE. He can do... He's very flexible uh, how he can uh, share and talk. So um, do uh, ask whether they've got the email. The other thing, this is just a pre-warning where we're going this year. What we're going to start in September is a new series of talks. We're doing a little mini-series at the moment uh, on the second coming, and, uh, and then we've been interspersing that with uh, guest speakers from our own team uh, on our verse for the month. But in September, we're starting a new series. It's going to go for the, what they call the Christian year, and, um, and the, the new pastor, if he wants to continue it, may. If he doesn't, he can change it. That's fine. And, uh, so, but we're going to encourage you to buy a copy of this book, it's called Through the Bible, Through the Year. And there's a devotion, a very short to read for every day of the week, a scripture and a read. It's done by John Stott. And it goes from Genesis to Revelation. So starting in September, it'll go through the Old Testament, getting us ready for the first advent of Christ at Christmas, and then the coming of the Spirit and working through to his second coming. All right? Uh, and uh, something to read each day. You can add it to your devotions or do as an extra. And um, so... Uh, I'm not going to buy these. You can get them online or you can get them from Kurong. That's the hard copy. You can get it in a soft copy or you can get an e-version. And uh, so the idea is that you read a little and then our preaching team will, um, will just uh, pick up one theme or one thread of that week as we work our way from Genesis uh, to Revelation. You got that? So you've got a month and a half to get a copy of the book. That's the idea. And if you want to grow in your Christian faith, uh, the way to do it is get a copy, be reading that as well as hearing it on Sunday. Got that? Good. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us today. We believe that you are here, the risen, living Lord Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of the universe the one who came and died and rose again from the dead and ascended to the Father and sits at the right hand of the Father in ultimate authority and power and is coming in power and glory to rule and reign on this earth. And we look forward to that great day and we pray that you'll find us ready as your people when that day comes. So Lord, open our hearts to hear whatever it might be you wish to say to us this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We can get bogged down when we were doing a little bit of a series on the second coming and end time events. And we can get a little bit bogged down sometimes on all the events and where and what order they come in. But I want you to realize that the ultimate goal to which Christ is working is not so much a place, but a state, a fellowship. It's called the New Jerusalem. The tabernacle of God is going to be with men. But however, before that happens, Christ must reign till all his enemies are put under his feet. So we look forward to that new day and that new relationship when God and man will be reunited in a beautiful new heaven and earth. Four goals which we've been looking at regarding end time events. First of all, that Christ will complete the church and present it. That's his bridegroom work. 
and we looked at the things related to that. The church is his bride, and he has a special place for his bride. So we talked about the rapture of the church and the rewards of the church and the return and reign with Christ uh, of the church. And then Christ will consummate the promises to Israel and establish it. He is their promised Messiah, and he has a plan and purpose for the nation of Israel. They've been put aside for the moment. They've rejected their Messiah, but uh, God's gifts and a calling are without repentance. God always keeps his promises, and uh, through great trial, they will come back to faith. And as Jesus said, he waits for the day to return when they call on him as their ultimate and their rightful Messiah. Christ will condemn the forces of evil and destroy it. That's his judgment work. And we're going to have a look at a little bit of that today. Uh, For he is the ruler and owner. He is the creator and all human beings are accountable to him. We're going to look at his judgment work. And ultimately, sin and Satan will be done away with and there'll be no more death or crying or mourning. The old will be gone and the new will be here. The perfect will come. And Christ will commence the millennium and prosper at his kingly work. And he will rule and reign on this earth, on the throne of King David. And so they're the four goals of the end time events. And we've been working through them and we'll continue to do a little bit on them in the weeks to come. But Christ will condemn the forces of evil and destroy it because people, as God's creation, are always answerable to their creator. The word judgment strictly means assessment. It's the pronouncement of a formal... To pass judgment is to assess the virtue or otherwise of an act and deliver a verdict. It does not necessarily involve condemnation or punishment. Only the context will give you whether the word judgment in the Bible is referring to that. It simply means an assessment. It may result in acquittal. It may result in a reward. It may result in condemnation and punishment. It is an assessment. And uh, so when you read judgment in the Bible, do not assume that it is always condemnation or punishment. We looked at the church and we talked about the judgment seat of Christ. Well, that's for Christians. But that's when rewards will be given because we'll see today that the judgment, if I'm in Christ, judgment has been passed in the sense of condemnation. And so that's an assessment of our faithfulness and obedience to the opportunity and gifts he's given us and rewards will be given, the judgment seat of Christ. So you have to read the context to find out what the outcome of the assessment is. So God judges or assesses a situation in the light of the creature-creator relationship and then takes appropriate action as a result. And in the scriptures, there's at least seven special occasions when God is seen assessing human beings, and we're going to look at the first three of these this morning. There are three basic judgments. There's the initial judgment in Genesis chapter 3. There is the judgment on all mankind. As after a number of things happen, God assesses, and he comes to this conclusion. And then there's the Calvary judgment, which we're focusing on, of about, and we're focusing on this morning. And next week, we'll pick up uh, the end-time judgments, which are these ones. Judgments at the day of the Lord include the church, the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of Israel, and then the nations, which includes the godless armies who come against the Messiah at his return, and then the living Gentiles are referred to in Matthew 25, and then ultimately uh, the final judgment, which is called the great white throne judgment, 
at the end of the millennium in Revelation chapter 20, 11 to 15. And uh, so there are seven uh, major times of assessing. So we're just going to look at the first three, the initial judgments. And so the th- all the three basic judgments. And the initial judgment you can read about in Genesis chapter 3, 8 to 24. So human beings have been created, Adam and Eve, and given a choice, created in love. So they have the choice. There's the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that there's the tree of life. And they're allowed to enjoy everything in the garden, all that God has created. There is only one stipulation. There is only one law. Do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is, live in dependence upon God to know what is right and wrong. God makes the ultimate decisions. Do not take it upon yourself to be God and determine what is right and wrong. However, faith collapsed and Adam and Eve sinned, and this resulted in the loss of paradise. Eternal life becomes unavailable. The husband and wife relationship is compromised, and the earth's yield is rendered difficult. And you can read about that assessing and that judgment and the impact of that in Genesis chapter 3, 8 to 24. So the outcome of that initial judgment is separation between God and humans. Eternal life becomes unavailable. They're pushed out of the garden and they're not allowed to eat of the tree of life. Separation between husband and wife and they make those fig leaves and these blaming and they shame. And separation between humans and the earth. And the earth is impacted. Actually, the scripture talks about in Romans how the earth is groaning under this curse, waiting for the great day of the sons of God to be revealed and when they'll be liberated from this decay that it's been uh, judged under and living under. And so due to the collapse of faith by the first pair in Eden, it resulted in separation, death of the body and eternal death ultimately. So that's the initial judgment right back there in Genesis chapter 3. Then we see the judgment of all mankind. God assesses the human beings. He gives them many opportunities after that first failure there in the Garden of Eden. Uh, they have got that witness. Adam and Eve could teach them. But we see that uh, even after the flood of Noah, uh, when God punishes, and then they've given, human race is given another opportunity, and they're told to spread out and replenish the earth. Instead of obeying God and living by faith, with faith is always trust and obedience in what God says. They decide not to obey God, and they gather to... Uh, build a ziggurat, a tower. It's called the Tower of Babel because God confuses their languages to force them to obey him and to get them to spread out. And they uh, make this worship to, of the stars and they seek to worship the created rather than the creator. And uh, so God's judgment on all mankind, his assessment is this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So God's assessment, God's judgment on the human race All the opportunities given, instead of faith, it's unfaith. Instead of trust, it's rebellion. Instead of obedience, it's do my own thing. 
And so he assesses the human race. And in uh, Jeremiah, this verdict is confirmed in these words. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so the initial judgment is then affirmed by God as a judgment on all mankind. But you have not eaten, just as man is destined to die, after that comes the judgment. So let me come back. Though God declared the verdict in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, that eternal death is the result of sin. And his assessment on all mankind is that we're all guilty of this rebellion, of this unfaith. The ultimate penalty has been suspended. Pending the possible opportunity of repentance of the sinner and consequent forgiveness of their penalty. However, that suspension ceases at death. So in Genesis, God said, you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. You will surely die. And they did. They died because death in the Bible is always separation from life. They were separated from the life of God and they were barred from the tree of, the knowledge, uh, tree of life. They didn't have eternal life. And then a death, physical death, which was the outworking of that, the final judgment of God would come. So death is put back, not immediately. As soon as you sin, you don't automatically die. But you will die. And after that, the scripture says you will face the judgment because God is merciful and he's postponed the consequences of our sin. He gives us a number of years, three score years and ten, the scripture talks about time for us to repent and turn to God and be forgiven and receive his forgiveness. And we'll look at closer how he achieves that and how he makes that possible. But when we die physically, then we face the ultimate outworking of that, just as the man is destined to die once after that to face the judgment. So the initial judgment in Genesis 3 the judgment, his assessment on all mankind that everybody is guilty of this, not just Adam and Eve, of all the opportunities given to human beings, even to you and to me, our heart is desperately wicked and it seeks to go its own way, do its own thing, wants to be its own God and please itself rather than love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And so we come to the Calvary judgment. This was a judgment on the prince of this world, Satan. Calvary was also a pronouncement of God's estimate of sin. Satan was so satanic and sin so sinful that it required the sacrifice of no lesser person than God's own son to secure Satan's defeat and sin's removal. God's estimate of sin is seen in the cry of Christ's agony, which we will look at in Matthew 27. And God's view of what the work of Christ was seen in the dividing of the veil. I'll explain that in a minute in Matthew 27. And the good news is that our judgment then becomes past in Christ if we put our faith and trust in him. So we want to look at the Calvary judgment this morning. The Calvary judgment, when Christ died on the cross, a number of things happened. We can't cover them all, but we'll cover some. This was God's condemnation of sin and sin's removal. 
Romans says, for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man. So Christ's death involves God's condemnation, God's judgment of sin and sin's removal. The Calvary judgment when Christ died on the cross because humans were already condemned That was God coming to save and to rescue. John puts it this way, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. No, he didn't come into the condemn. Why? Because we were, his assessment of all mankind, we were already condemned. We were already sinful. We were already rebels. We were already under his judgment of condemnation. So Christ came to rescue us from that. But to save the world through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The judgment on all mankind, our deeds are evil. We really want to please ourselves, not God. And so Christ came to rescue and to save us because we were already condemned in the calvary judgment god laid on christ your sin and my sin in isaiah 53 it says we all like sheep have gone astray each has turned to his own way and the lord has laid on him that is jesus the lamb of god the iniquity the sin of us all as one peter says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Let me give you a little bit of a picture of this. This was all foreshadowed in the Old Testament and the tabernacle. We did a series on the tabernacle a number of years ago. And really the tabernacle was preparing God's people for the coming of the Messiah and all that he would do. The Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world because the sacrifices of the tabernacle only covered sin. And that's why it had to be repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. But the coming of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient not to cover sin but to remove sin. And the ultimate goal is fellowship. The ultimate heart of God. The ultimate desire of the Almighty who created you and created me. He created us in love. And love always wants relationship. And he created human beings with the possibility, with the potential of being his dwelling place, his home. And so the tree of life in the garden. But instead of choosing the tree of life and knowing it and being indwelt by the Almighty and experiencing his eternal life, Adam and Eve and we since have chosen the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want to be my own God, make my own decisions, do my own thing without him. I want to live as a rebel. So how is it possible for a holy, pure, righteous God to now have fellowship with sinful, rebellious, filthy human beings? Because God's desire is fellowship. He has to do something about our sin that he is condemned. And so as you come into the tabernacle, 
the first thing you come to is the brazen altar. And that's where you and I, we would bring, if we were part of the people of Israel, we would bring a lamb or a goat or an animal. And we would place our hand on it with a priest. And in that we were saying, this lamb, this other life is taking my sin. And it was then slaughtered and placed on the altar and burnt. So when you read those books that your sin was laid on Christ, this is the picture of the people. They, they have this background that someone else, for me to come into the presence of God, something has to be done with my sin. And I can't pay for it myself. And so another life carries my sin and is sacrificed so that my sin in those days could be covered. But the sacrifice of Christ, who died on the cross and rose again from the dead, removes sin, removes the condemnation, so that I can come into the Holy of Holies. And there was two, the holy place and the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top, that was called the mercy seat. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the priest, and only the high priest, and that's why if you pick up the picture of Jesus as our great high priest, would bring the blood of the sacrifice of the lamb through the, through the veil, we'll come to that in a minute, into the Holy of Holies and place the blood on the mercy seat and ask God to be merciful to his sinning people and to forgive them, to see the blood. Because inside, inside the ark was a number of things. But there was the law, the Ten Commandments, which really expresses the character and the holiness and the purity of God. The law is righteous and holy, but the law condemns us because we have not kept the law. We can't keep the law. So that says we should be punished in the flames. But above the law is the mercy seat and the blood of the sacrifice is placed on that. And so God sees the blood of the Lamb and is merciful to those who have broken fellowship with him. And the blood of Christ, when Christ, God sees the blood of Christ, if we put our faith and trust in him as the Lamb of God, that's why we can come into fellowship. And so it's all there in the Old Testament. So don't just read the Old Testament and think all those sacrifices and all that stuff about the tabernacle. It's all pointing to Jesus and what he did. And all the different sacrifices explain a different aspect because there's multiple aspects of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And I just want to look at two. And so when we talk about our sin was laid on Christ, we think about, they would think about, they would understand that they would put the hand on the lamb or the goat and it would die in their place. It was carrying their sin and that was dying. That lamb or that goat was dying or that bull was dying in their place to take the judgment they deserved to experience the condemnation. It should be them. They should be in the flames for their rebellion and sin. So he suffered what we deserved. 
And we see that in the cry of what's called the cry of dereliction on the cross. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, that's eternal death. Eternal death is being cut off from the very life of God. It is to be forever and ultimately never being able to be reversed alone. Have you ever been alone? I mean really alone or lost. I remember when our middle son, we were at some big event and a big stadium in Melbourne and thousands of people there. And Janine and I went up to in the intermission, I think, to get something to eat. And to, we saw two different lines. So I said, why don't I go on that line and you go on that line? You know, might want us get there first. And, uh, and then Tim came with me and he wanted to go to mum. So I said, she's just there. Just go straight to the mum. Somewhere between me and mum. He didn't make it. We get back after we've got what we want to go back into the huge auditorium. It was a stadium. I said, is Tim with you? She said, no, but I sent him to you. And she said, he was with you. And you can just, have you ever lost a kid? I mean, it's one thing. <laughs> I've done it twice. <laughs> Sorry, this is bad confession time. But uh, I was at the expo here, 9088 expo. I lost the eldest son. Anyway, I wasn't trying to get rid of them. <laughs> just, just the horror of a father that I've lost my child. Have you ever thought of a ache, not just on Christ's side, my God, my God, why have you faked but the father's side of his son. He has become sin, and yet he is absolutely holy, and those two things don't go together. And that's the heart of God for you. He wants you to be with him forever and enjoy his... That's what you were created for. To live in the Holy of Holies, in the very presence of the Almighty God. He built you for relationship with Him. And the evil one tends to teach us that really what's interesting and what's great and what's fun is what's evil. And holiness is really, that's boring. But the reality is exact opposite. What you've been created for, to have pure, unadulterated joy forever is holiness. And what sin ultimately brings is absolute loneliness. And when Christ became sin for you and sin for us, the altar, why have you forsaken me, God? He suffered what you and I deserved, to be absolutely and ultimately and utterly forsaken. Mates of mine used to say to me sometimes at our college, you know, <laughs> doesn't matter, I'm going to hell and all my mates will be there. And I used to say, no. Actually, the Bible says you'll be absolutely and ultimately alone. Hell, ultimate judgment. The Bible gives lots of pictures, fire, gnashing of teeth, things like that. But the other picture is absolute loneliness. Because God and all that God has created, the fellowship, the joy, the fun, the beauty, the creation, that's all God's. And if I say I don't want God, God will give me my choice. 
But that means I'll be shut up to just me. Because relationship and fun and everything else is all part of God's creation. And I'm saying, I want to be my own God. I will be absolutely and utterly alone. And when Christ became sin for us, and your sin and my sin was put on him, and he suffered the condemnation and the judgment of the fire of Calvary, the outcome of was that, why have you forsaken me? Absolute aloneness. What you and I deserve. However, through what he did, he reversed separation to fellowship. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Not human beings doing it, God doing this. This was the act of God. The earth shook, the rocks split. And the tombs were open. I don't know whether you realize this, but the bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life at that time. They died again, contrary to what Jesus did, because it was a resurrection body. But he reversed separation to fellowship. Because he took our condemnation, because he was our sacrifice, there was a curtain here, a huge curtain and you and I, if we were Jews, could never come into the very presence of God. The curtain was there. Only the high priest, once a year, and very carefully, would go into the holy presence of God with the blood of the sacrifice. But when Jesus died on the cross, and your sin and my sin was laid on him, and he suffered our judgment and our condemnation, and he cried out, why have you forsaken me? The curtain was split. And the way was opened. Because sin was no longer covered, sin can now be forgiven. And now Christ has made a way that we can come and now receive and experience the life of God, which is eternal life, which is received by us in the gift of his Holy Spirit, which is the very life of God living in us, Father, Son, and Spirit. We can now come into the Holy of Holies. And the incredible thing about this is the Apostle Paul in Corinthians talks about you as his Holy of Holies, and he talks about the church as the Holy of Holies. Not a tabernacle in the wilderness that they carried around, but a living holy of holies. That's why you need to be careful about how you treat the church and talk about the church. It is the dwelling place of God. And that's why Paul says you need to be careful how you live. Because where you go, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the dwelling place of God. God is there. So how can you take God and marry it up to a prostitute? How can you take God and go into that place? How? Because you are the dwelling place of God the Holy of Holies, at great cost to himself. God has made a way. And so as a result of that Calvary judgment, redemption becomes available through Christ, Abraham's seed promised in the Old Testament. We can be rescued from our sin. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us 
because the law cursed you and I. It says we're guilty, we're condemned. Cursed us to eternal loneliness. Cursed us to, to judgment. But Christ has rescued us from that because he has become the curse for us so that we can be the dwelling place of God and have fellowship with him. When you take the Lord's Supper, do you realize all that's been done for you? And the incredible thing is, our judgment that we deserve now becomes past in Christ. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, not to carry our sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That is, if I put my faith and trust in Christ and his sacrifice for me, I look forward to the second coming of Christ, not as a day of judgment to condemn me because my condemnation is already past. I am now living over here. The judgment is past because the blood covers it. I'm under the mercy seat. And so I look forward to his return as a time of rejoicing and of rewards and new heavens and new earth and the ultimate presence of God and fellowship of the new Jerusalem. When all we see is a glimmer is ultimately seen. The beauty of this world is ultimately beautiful. The love of this world is ultimately lovely. The goodness of this world is ultimately good. The joy of this world is exponentially joyful. We look forward to that because our judgment is passed in Christ. And Satan is defeated. The cross was a judgment on the prince of this world. He now stands condemned and ultimately will be removed forever. So there are some of the things in the Calvary judgment that God has done for us through Christ. And so that's what we remember when we come to the, what we call the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist. The Christ died. The Christ was buried. The Christ rose again from the dead. And the Christ is coming again in power and glory. And I want to say that he is here. The risen Christ is here present with us, his believing people, for the special purpose of sharing with us all the benefits of his sacrifice on the cross. Pardon, justification, regeneration, assurance, sanctification, adoption, glorification, forgiveness, healing, deliverance, hope of resurrection, and eternal life. All made possible because of this, so that we can come through the curtain and become the dwelling place of God. And so I'm going to invite us all in just a moment to take the bread. And as you eat that bread, remember that your sin was placed on him and he took the judgment for you. And we're going to take the cup and we're going to drink the cup that reminds us of the life that he poured out so that you could actually enjoy the very life of God. Your rebellious life for his fellowship your sinful life for his holiness, your unrighteousness for his righteousness, not through anything you've done, but because he died in your place and rose again from the dead and by his spirit through faith in him brings you to be under the mercy seat.
for his blood now is there that is sufficient for all, for all time, once and for all. Not to be repeated every year. We are not sacrificing Christ here. This is not a mass. This is a remembrance. For he has died once for all. So I'm going to ask those who are waiting on us to come. And uh, Liam, I didn't ask you, could you? Good on you, thanks, mate. And we invite you, whether you're here for the first time, whether you're here regular, you're welcome to take a piece of bread and take a cup at Outlook. We're happy for our children to join with us, teach them the meaning of this as they take it. If they're sitting with you, encourage them to join with you to take a piece of bread and remind them we're remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died in my place. He gave his life for me. So the judgment now is past through faith in him and eternal life is now through faith in him. Let me read to you a statement and then we'll repeat it together after we've all received the bread and the wine. In Ephesians 1, 7 and Psalm 107 verse 2, it says, Through the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed out of the hand of the devil. Through the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. In 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is cleansing me now and continually from all sin. Romans 5, 9, through the blood of Jesus, I'm justified, made righteous, just as if I had never sinned. Hebrews 13, 12, through the blood of Jesus, I am sanctified, made holy, set apart to God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, redeemed, cleansed, sanctified by the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, therefore the devil has no more place in me and no more power over me through the blood of Jesus. That's what we affirm and declare together. Will you declare it with me? I will read the reference. You say the statement out loud with me, and then we will eat the bread. say this reference you say the statement with me Ephesians 1 7 Psalm 107 2 through the blood of Jesus I am redeemed out of the hand of the devil through the blood of Jesus all my sins are forgiven 1 John 1 7 the blood of Jesus Christ God's son is cleansing me now and continually from all sin Romans 5 9 through the blood of Jesus I'm justified made righteous just as if I had never sinned Hebrews 13 12 through the blood of Jesus I'm sanctified made holy set apart to God 1 Corinthians 16 19 and 20 my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit redeemed cleansed sanctified by the blood of Jesus 1 Corinthians 6 19 and 20 therefore the devil has no place in me and no more power over me through the blood of Jesus. Take and eat and be very grateful.
If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as you're eating that bread, will you? Will you say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying in my place for my sin? Will you forgive me? I want to be your friend. Will you forgive me? Cleanse me, pardon me, and bring me into your family. As this bread goes in, will you by your Spirit come and dwell in me? If you've never invited him in, will you invite him in now? you already, will you just say thank you for making that possible through your sacrifice on the cross, taking the condemnation, the judgment I deserved in my place so that I could be free and rescued forever. Will you stand with me? Christ is victorious over sin, Satan, devil, and death. So let's raise our glasses in honor to him and say, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Say with me, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Let's drink together. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are God incarnate, God come in the flesh. We thank you that you died and rose again from the dead. We thank you that you'll come in power and glory to rule and reign on this earth. And we thank you through faith in Christ, our judgment is past and the future is joyful. And so we rest and remain in you, our great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray and his name we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, thank you, John. We're now going to take up the offering. Let's just bow for a word of prayer, shall we, before we take up the offering. Our loving God, we, you have met our daily needs and so much more, and we thank you for your many blessings upon us. And this morning, in obedience, we give out of the abundance you have given us. May your life come to those who obey you, and may these gifts be used wisely to further your kingdom. And may your people here at Outlook Christian Church continue to know your presence in their lives. Amen. Look, uh, the if we just get those who <laughs> yeah, have uh, those who give out the uh, offering, we're going to pass this round. If you're new, just uh, and and uh, this is an opportunity for uh, for regulars at Outlook Christian Church to give in, during the service. If you're new, just pass it on and. Um, Fine. Well, we'll sit. Wait for them. Should we start?